This is Farley, and today we have a special guest, Matt Jones, actor, comedian, really amazing human being. We will be going on this odyssey, this journey about his life and the twists and turns of living in Los Angeles. So, here we go. Welcome to Just Don't Care Yourself Today podcast. Today we have an amazing guest, Matt Jones, comedian, actor. What else? I would say I try to just keep it at those two things because there are too many slashes in my business card. I'm afraid people won't take me seriously. I'm like, I also sell paint. Uh, let's start off. Uh, where are you from? So I'm from a little town called Heron, Illinois. When I say I'm from Illinois, people are always like, oh, Chicago, because it's like <laughs> that's the one big landmark. People don't realize Illinois is this big city of Chicago, and the rest of it is like the South. It's not geographically the South, but culturally, it's the South. There's Southern accents. You're circled around by, you know, you're surrounded by Kentucky, Indiana, Missouri. And so I'm from the very bottom of the state. And like my town probably has, like, it's actually probably more like 12,000 people. Yeah. So <laughs> does, is, is that bigger than you thought it was going to be or smaller? Uh, Super small, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, dude, the town next, like, it's called Energy. You know, and it sounds like a very new age town, but it's not, you know, like just energy sounds like a place where there would just be a lot of like psychics and stuff like that. But it's like 500 people. And so I grew up in a very, very small town, you know. Wow. Yeah. Very, very small, dude. Very small, you know. So how many brothers and sisters? I have one sister. She is four years older than me. Very model human being. Do you know what I mean? Like plays by all the rules. She's a great person, but she plays by all the rules. She got straight A's in high school. You know, she was on like, she, I think she was homecoming queen. I can't remember. I think she was homecoming queen. I can't remember. Um, very much, you know, like she wasn't valedictorian cause I don't think our high school had that, but she was the valedictorian type, you know, did pageants and stuff like that and got married when she was like 20 to like a, she got married to a stealth dude that was like just really you know, an awesome guy, super successful. My sister has all her stuff together. We're almost like the polar opposites, you know? Wow. We're like Mario and Wario, and I'm Wario. <laughs> that is... <laughs> is she still married? Does she got kids? And Yeah, she's got kids, man. So I have nieces. Uh, two little girls, they're um, 11, uh, about to be 12. Uh, then I have a nephew, his name's Parker. And then I have another niece, um, her name is Sage, you know, so... <sighs> Yeah, it's pretty awesome. She's got four kids. You know, she's living she's living that uh, mom life now, you know, which is crazy because you don't think moms don't get enough credit because you see how, like, stressful that is. Like, if you've been to the airport, dude, and you just see people with, like, those basset hound eyes and they're yeah. pushing the stroller and it's like, holy shit, it's over for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to have kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, your parents still alive? Yeah, yeah. My mom and dad are. My mom and dad are. Still my, together? Uh, still together, actually, you know, which is cool, dude, because my parents are that old school mentality um i'm pretty sure they annoyed the hell out of each other but they er, but they made it work um my dad is very ocd Mm -hmm. which we can talk about that later because i am too like Uh and and i'm not using that in a term like you know some people are like i'm so add i'm so ocd like i actually am like ocd you know and so um but my dad is very like everything has to be a certain way and my mom is sort of like this very happy-go-lucky jovial like everything's perfect it's all gonna work out you know and they both have southern accents and stuff so it's very like picturesque and sometimes i wonder why i'm so insane 
because it's sort of it almost looks like I came from the Brady Bunch family, but then I'm like off my rocker. And, you know? and you're still just thinking like, maybe they switched the babies, you know? There's that. Yeah, dude, it's like it's like two clowns just like left a baby on their porch, like covered in 300 handkerchiefs. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, I guess we, this baby's ours now. It's like yeah, the Moses. whole stork story. You know, the stork comes and. Did you believe that when you were a kid? Um, honestly, I, you know what? I have to admit, I'm very gullible. I did. I, I, I believed in, uh, Santa Claus. I believed in E.T. Same here. I believed in E.T. and, and the... Wait, wait. I didn't even know that was part of the... You're like, okay, hold up, hold up. Because usually people are like Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny. You're like, I believed in E.T. <laughs> Dude, how did that like get into the Rolodex of these fictional characters? Uh, E.T. was one of those... I, I think E.T. was... I, I love that movie. I love that. Yeah. And I think I was at that, you know, you're at that point in your life where you think maybe movies are real. Uh huh. Because I, I, I didn't have anything else to, uh, I didn't have any reference of. Sure. I, I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe, you know. For sure. How I mean, Santa Claus. I mean, oh, man. I can't remember. But. I remember I was you're like, I was, I, you're like, you're like, I, that'd be said of his <laughs> a later age. Like, I, you're like 25. <laughs> no, no, I, I think I, I thought I, he was real. From when I, let's see, um, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Uh-huh. I would have to say it came out like when I was like 10. 10. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that's an ET is real stage. That's, that's passable. I, I, I think because you know? my parents were, uh, they got a divorce and I think I was, I was think I was wishing that uh, an ET would uh-huh. show up in the backyard, you know. Totally, totally. Just because it was like that thing that's kind of gonna rescue you from like your childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that uh, that's still a movie. I I have to admit, I watched it like a year ago, and I still cried. I still cried. I mean, I was, yeah. I was just, dude. We I have those movies too. I'm drawing a blank right now, but they I I tear up in movies. You know, like, um, especially if it's really, really well done. A Star is Born. I teared up in that. Oh, yeah. I actually, I mean, me and this girl, we were already kind of like dating. So it was okay. I never take women to see a movie on the first date, you know, because it's like, it's just, it's ridiculous because you can't talk or have a conversation. But um, we had been hanging out for a while and I was like, yeah, let's go see A Star is Born. It's, you know, it was like we both left looking like we just like saw like a massacre, like we watched a genocide or something. None of us talked the whole way home. Um, and I was trying not to tear up because it's I mean, that's not sexy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like just like sobbing over Bradley Cooper and A Star is Born. But that was a tearjerker, dude. Well, I, I felt I really felt bad for Charlie. Which one was Charlie? The dog. What happened to Charlie? Well, you know when he, you know, did, uh, did the when he uh, killed himself. Oh yeah, yeah. Charlie yeah. was there. Yeah, and he was just sparking, wasn't he? Yeah, he was just, you know, yeah, he, you know, he like basically said, you know, like that's the last being that saw him, that that character. Dude, that's very telling of you because it's like that's a telling thing in a good way of your personality because you you like dogs so much, and I think most people that would slip their mind. To be like, I felt bad for Charlie, but you really, really thought about it. Dude, it's, it's, it's very thoughtful and also hilarious at the same time. You're like, I didn't really feel bad for Bradley Cooper as he's like strangling himself and his legs were kicking. It's like, I felt bad for Charlie because he had to watch. <laughs> You're like, who's going to let him out to take a shit? Right, right. I mean, you know, how long are they going to be gone? Is there water? Absolutely. You do have to think about those things. 
Dude, Did he, God rest Charlie. Well, I'm sure Charlie's still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Charlie. Yeah. What was the the house religion? The house religion. Oh, so um, that's easy. That was is Christian. I grew up in a Christian household, uh-huh. and um, I'm actually still a Christian. Uh-huh. My faith has changed a lot though over the last couple, not couple years. Yeah, like it's it's changed a lot over the last ten years, and it should because it's like I look at my. From an outsider would say it's my religion, but to me, I just look at it as like I have a relationship with Jesus, you know, with God. I I have a very open, I have a very open relationship with Jesus, like, you know, to where I I tell him everything. I talk like I'm just on this podcast, you know what I mean? And there's a reverence that's there, but I like talk very conversation and matter of fact. I don't do like these weird, you know, things that some people do to try to get God to hear me or anything like that. But like growing up, I grew up Christian. I always say, like, I'm a Christian. I read the Bible, but I also realize that Christianity as a religion can really mess people up, like really, really bad, especially when it's taught as like this thing that's just a series of rules or whatever. And my parents were pretty cool about not really doing that. Like they they uh, they let me make I remember I got baptized when I was 10. But the way this pastor explained it to me, like scared the shit out of me. And I remember it like made me have like this boogeyman fear of God for like a very long time to where he's like, all right. He's like, so here's you. You're going on the road to heaven. He goes, and then you sin. And then he just drew a bunch of flames. And then he's like, and then you're over here in these flames. But you just say you're sorry. And you're back on that road. And then like I I look back on it and I'm like, dude, that is not what that being a Christian is. But he explained it so t- terribly to me. So I remember like being a little kid and I had OCD, right? So I was really, really like scared, like, oh, what if I have like some sort of unconfessed sin? So I remember calling my mom in my room and I would confess, and I wasn't even Catholic, but I would confess my sins to my mom. Like it was like, there was like a sheet cloth between us and she was the priest. And I'd be like, yeah, sometimes like I think of girls naked and I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. Cause it's like whenever, you, and I'd be like, and then I said the word, I said the SH word. I didn't say shit, you know, cause yeah. you're like a little kid and you're so innocent. I said the SH word and I'm like, and you know, Seth, I hang out with my friend Seth and he says titties all the time. Am I still a little allowed to hang out with him? So there's like this weird thing to where I had to like break out of that. And I think that's why a lot of people so much to where it's like they have this cringe thing. Like whenever you bring up like Christians or God, because that's been their upbringing and there never has been like any kind of like thing that shifted that for them. So I didn't grow up in that per se, but I grew up in that culture in the Bible Belt. And uh, the Bible Belt is like a lot of that. A lot of it is cultural Christianity. So it's like you have like your religion, but it's interwoven with like Cracker Barrel restaurants and it's interwoven with being a certain way politically and it's interwoven with um with NASCAR and I mean my dad was funny man my dad my dad he actually like my dad looks like Saddam Hussein like exactly <laughs> but he's got like this southern accent <laughs> and so it's just like this whole weird thing to where it's like my dad growing up like we could watch I'll give you an example of my religious upbringing we could watch really violent movies to where people were getting like their heads ripped off and stuff. Like I'd watch John Claude Van Damme movies with my dad. Uh, but like if anybody said like, except if there was any excessive cussing, my dad, he's saying the F word. <laughs> like I remember I was listening to the, like the, the album by Everclear. Remember so much for the afterglow. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear that album? I did. That's a great record. Dude, it's a great, great album. And I remember like I was listening to the song. It's called white men in black suits. 
and I don't remember what he says in it, but there was like something to where like I was listening to it downstairs and I was playing like Super Nintendo and my dad came down and he heard like cussing and he goes, he's talking filthy. (laughs) And then like just ejected it and took it upstairs and like threw it in the trash. And then like, you know, so there were some weird religious things in the house, but nothing like too crazy. You know, like my parents didn't make me like memorize Bible verses or they like flogged me with a vacuum cleaner extension cord. You know, (laughs) Um, I remember, uh, the other thing too, they're strict about my music, like the the band Green Day. Mm-hmm. I remember my sister; she came back home from church camp, which is you know like it's a, it, it, like there was like some speaker that like some blowhard speaker that got up and told you you know you shouldn't be listening to certain bands. And he's like, "Do you know what Green Day means? Green Day means high on pot all day long." And so my dad's like, "My dad's like, you're not listening to that." head music <laughs> and so i went through this phase in junior high of where i had like i was into like new metal like really bad chin piercing rock mm-hmm. you know like the Ozfest music like i had like corn on the wall limp biscuit and my dad let me put these posters on my wall because i was like 14 i guess he's like let him do what he wants but he was like he was like all oh, these guys in here look like potheads <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, my dad found my Papa Roach album, and he's like, Papa Roach? He goes, are they potheads? <laughs> so, really, more than anything, my dad was just strict on if he thought you were a pothead, he didn't like you. Wow, he had a big, big, no no marijuana. Yeah, and now he doesn't even, he probably, like, I don't smoke weed, but I think if I did, I don't think he would care. Yeah. I don't think he would care that much, because he I've developed as a human I think it was more so him trying to set an example, but it came off as a little blowhardy. Yeah, it's a. I, I feel like our whole look, the way we look at marijuana today, is so different. I mean, we, everyone does the oh, CBD, yeah. and and you know, we got dispensaries, and I mean, my experience, I've never seen anybody smoke pot, and I just see them get tired and eat a lot of food. Totally, I'm I, not anti weed <laughs> at all. I just don't do it for me because it curbs my motivation. Yeah. Um, and I like to have like my mind completely clear. Yeah. You know, but, um, to each their own, like I understand, I mean, it's better than taking a lot of pharmaceuticals, honestly, you know, like if you're gonna, it's great for a lot of people, cancer patients, CBD, I'll take CBD. Yeah. Um, I won't smoke it, but I'll, I'll take like the droplets and stuff, you know, and my dad even like takes it. He's my dad. Um, he's one of those people. I don't know what's going on with him in his sleep, but he has like Vietnam flashbacks. He's oh. not even, fr- he's not from Vietnam. He never had that, but he just has like crazy dreams, you know? So he took CBD one time and he was just like out like a light. It didn't give him like any weird, you know, dream anxiety or anything. I, like you said, it's better to have a, that than a pharmaceutical that you end up getting hooked on. And then you have to keep on taking more and more to get, and you know, they keep on, okay, you know, it's 10 milligrams. Yeah. Now it's 20. Now it's 30. Now it's 40. And then, and it's, you know, and then you're, Absolutely. you're it, it becomes an addiction. Dude, so much. I mean, did you ever get your wisdom teeth taken out? You know what? I'm going to, I, I, you know, I can't remember. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. So, so I got my wisdom teeth taken out, I think when I was like 17. And this sounds like I'm making this up and I'm not. So they give you so much drugs when you get your wisdom teeth taken out because it's a painful process. And when they, when you come out of it, you're still super high. But you remember it. But, like, I was so incoherent. And I don't know if I was trying to be, like, cute and funny and, like, trying to make the nurse laugh or whatever. But I remember, I go, you ever seen that? I go, you ever seen that movie by Pink Floyd, The Wall Man? Like, and I was, like, 17. I'd never been high. And she was like, no. 
And then like I went home and like like I remember my mom was in the car and my mom was like, you haven't done drugs before, have you? And I was like, no. I'm like, I'm like, I'm ripped, man. Like I was like saying that to my mom, like she was like a stoner buddy. And then she like, you know, slipped in like, have you done drugs before? And I was like, no. But um, I remember they gave me a prescription for Vicodin. Yeah. And um, dude, it was so crazy because I remember I used up the whole bottle because it just made me feel so good. Not only did Vicodin take away my physical pain, I remember it took away my emotional pain. Like whatever I was feeling, it like made it all better. And it was like this weird thing to where it just made everything all right. And I'm sure as you progress down the road of addiction with like Vicodin, it's not like that at all. But in the beginning, it really is. I remember going up to a group of girls and I was really shy around women when I was like 17 and just feeling so confident, like no inhibition. And I was like, dude, this is great. And I understand why people get addicted to that because that would have been eventually it was Klonopin, but Vicodin, it could have easily been my drug of choice to wear it. Cause it was like that thing that made you feel like you could be your real self in this world to where it's like, Oh, okay. This just strips everything away. It's like a big security blanket, you know? Yes. And, and we you know when you get addicted to those drugs and you, they're, they're like, you're, I'm, I can't leave the house. I mean, yeah. I've heard, I've yeah. heard addicts say, if I don't do this drug, I can't go to work. I can't, sure. I can't even talk to the, to the mailman uh-huh. or it becomes like, it's just, you're dependent. I think when you become dependent on anything, uh, you're, you've fallen into, into that web of, of addiction. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, addiction's a crazy thing too, because people think it's so one-sided, like you can be a functioning addict. Oh yeah. You know, to where you're not, it's like, well, people always think of addict and they're like, well, you know, herb drove his Camaro through our living room <laughs> right. and, uh, you know, like he started like mouth kissing the dog and the family reunion came over. He like threw my mother through a plate glass window, you know, like it, it's like not always like that. You know, you sometimes just get this crazy dependence on something, you know, which I think OCD is kind of addiction kind of is a form of obsessive compulsive disorder in a weird way. Cause it's this thing that you have to have to feel like, or this bad thing will happen over here. You know, at least it was for me. I was in the Klonopin. That was, a, that was the thing that I liked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what Klonopin is? I, you, you know, when you say that there was a girl that I knew and, and I was watching her get sober and that's what she was addicted to. Yeah. And she was, yeah. sorry. And she was telling me what that was like. And I, I, I mean, and it took her a long time and she actually had to move from Austin, Texas to to leave all those friends mm-hmm. who had Klonopin and come to L.A. for six months wow. so she could quit because she said it was so the addiction was just I mean, she was trying to explain it to me, but it's just like, you know, it's like someone trying to explain to you like if, uh, like they try to explain like what uh, Australia is like. Sure. I, and they'll show you pictures, but you're still like. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, is is it like Santa Monica? No, it's Australia. <laughs> you know, it's like, but yeah. it's not. You know, it's not. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it was it, basically the reason why I got it is because I um I I I had gotten like really bad social anxiety and uh and it started it was weird. I started being like the funny guy in like sixth grade, but I was like picked on directly before that, right? So as soon as I became the funny guy, I had this addiction to where I'm like, I always got to be on and I always got to be funny 
or people are going to find me out. You know that like imposter syndrome thing? Right. Like somehow, some way, somebody's just going to come up to you and point something out about you that you can't handle or that you're a fraud or that you're like this huge dork or that you're like just a complete loser. You know, so it was like that was my validation was being funny. So it was like, and so I remember like my voice started shaking. Like it was this weird thing that started happening like when I was around big groups of people, like my voice would get like stuck in my chest, you know? And I'd be like, dude, what the hell is this? And it was like uncontrollable. Like I couldn't control it. And it's like things would happen. Like my eye would twitch. Like I would get these physiological. So I was like, why is this happening? And it happened when I stood in front of people and it happened with women because like those were the two rejection points. Like if I'm in front of people and I was doing comedy at the time, but I was like, if I'm in front of people, or I'm trying to talk to a girl, like my my insecurities get like magnified. So I got on uh, like Zoloft, I tried Paxil, all these different things, and eventually they put me on uh, lithium, which is for like a mood stabilizer, and then they put me on uh, Klonopin. And the Klonopin was like take as needed, and they give me like a full bottle. So I was doing stand-up at this time, and I just started like popping Klonopin because like, you take one and it kind of helps and then you, the, you you need to keep taking more to where eventually I was taking like five and I was like chugging like bottles of wine and stuff like that um, just to be able to chill me out and to be able to like be able to like try to be myself, you know? And yeah, like that was like, I never had to go to rehab, but it was, it was, it was heading in that direction. I feel like this is my opinion is like drugs they give you like this parachute where you are, you do these amazing things for a while. Yes. You, you're, you, you, you levitate uh-huh. and then you don't anymore. And I, but there is yeah. this, I mean, I think that's how like certain musicians or people did these amazing things because yeah. drugs, they did help them, but it doesn't, doesn't last. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it does. It, you can't do it. Your body will, will say no way. And I think that's why we've lost a lot of really great artists and a lot of great writers. And, but it does work for a while. It does. And that's why you keep doing it. Cause you're like, well, it used to work. It's got to keep working. And it just gets like sadder and sadder. It was like stuff like to numb my pain. So I would like take a ton of allergy pills mm. and then drink a ton with it. And like, just do things that would get me like, make me not feel, mm. you know, like I was, I was already, all the way up here. So it's like, I needed to bring myself down so I could be grounded and feel like I'm like in my own body. Like that was like my form of meditation, you know, like this, my spirits hanging all the way up here. And then this just like sucks it and pulls it back down in my body, which it doesn't, but it, you think that's what it's, did you like when you, cause you did drugs for a while, right too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did drugs for, for a while. And I, I think, f- was it to calm yourself down, like to calm your thoughts and stuff, or was it just because you had fun doing it? I think it was a little, a little bit of a mixture. Like I have attention uh-huh. uh, and I, I'm dyslexic. So I had a lot of learning issues mm-hmm. and back then they didn't know what to, how to deal with someone with attention deficit disorder. So they would put me on medication and I went from the kid like that to, I was so uh, focused that it was too focused. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was. It, I I could sit there and be like, "You give me a book, I'd be like, nah, 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 nah. you know, <laughs> I'd be like, nah, 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 you know." And uh, and so for a while they were just, you know, I oh this doesn't work, so we'll give you this and we'll give you that. And you know, my grades actually got better, and I actually 
there were some improvement and I, and I, but it made me, uh, it made me just feel like I was too concentrated and I felt like I was in a shell and, and it was great for class and it was great for, uh, making good grades, but socially it was, it was hard. Cause I, I it was, mm-hmm. I, I felt, um, like I, I could get, you know, you could, like I said, you could give me uh, a magazine and I would start to just, uh, break it down. And then you'd be like, I'm like, Oh, I got to break down this magazine. I'll talk to you an hour. Like it yeah. just, uh, it, 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 it threw me off. So I, I had to kind of find a, a middle ground where I would take medication to uh, help me do well in school, but then other times I didn't take the medication so I could socialize and I could make friends and do things. But, you know, with my schooling, I just, if I didn't take my medicine, I would just be all over the, the place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I took Adderall once or twice, and it was my ex-girlfriend. She had a prescription for it, and she would take it when she needed to get something done. Um, and the one time I took it, I was doing street performing in Vegas and I didn't take a lot, like not to get high or anything. I was just like, I want to see how this affects my comedy. And I remember I was like so dialed in, which I don't think I need that now to do that because I've done it for so long. But like, this was like 2011 or something. And I was like so dialed in and it like worked. And then I tried it another time and it just made me feel like horrible inside. Like whenever I took like Adderall, did it make you ever just feel like terrible? Well, I, I think for me... I always took a very small dosage, uh-huh. and, but when I was going to college, because I, I had, you know, I was getting this medication for my, and I almost think, dude, I mean, I don't want to put my situation on everybody, but I was drawn to, and, and for me, it wasn't even anything like super hard. Like I never did Coke. Our dogs are out. Yeah. Dude, as soon as you did that, that was almost like a setup in like a movie where you're like, actually like, you have like somebody and they come out and just attack someone. You like knock. You like the dog lord. Hey, Come down, guys. buddy. All right. It's okay, guys. It's okay, guys. It's okay. All right. All right. Good job. Good job. You should leave that in there. I hope I know. you do. So, so they would, they would uh, come to my door and they, uh-huh. you know, they'd want, and I always said no, because I was trying to explain to them, like, I really have attention deficit disorder. I'm not doing this to become an, an uh-huh. a, like, like I need this or I won't get through college. Right. Right. Like I, and, and a lot of them just couldn't, they just couldn't at times couldn't understand it mm-hmm. because the one thing with me, there was a time in my life where there was, you know, all these people saying, Oh, there's no, no such thing as learning disabilities or no such thing as attention deficit disorder. And then I, I started meeting kids with attention deficit disorder and right. with, you know, dyslexia. And, yeah. and I started going like, hold on. There are, there's a lot of people that are struggling with these, you know, with these disabilities. And when you get the tools, you can be successful, mm-hmm. but if you don't have the tools, it's a very frustrating and it's a life where people don't under, if they're not educated, they don't understand why things are hard for you. It's really crazy too, man. I actually look at it as like an asset because you look at every single artist, they all have ADD, ADHD, social anxiety, Bipolar, like I'm not saying all at once, but right. they, they, there's something that draws you to be creative to where you have some kind of crutch in your personal life. I don't think that you have to like keep that crutch, but that crutch drew you to the art in the first place. And I think that, you know, you can quote unquote, like heal from a lot of those things. I don't believe it's like this one time slap on like, this is your identity, like the way like the medical community sometimes labels it because I was labeled as bipolar too when I was in Chicago. I mean, I, I cried like six times a day. 
but then I'd be like manically happy. Right. And so um, they put me on lithium. It chilled me out. I stopped crying all the time. And then like I uh, I really dove like headstrong into like healing and I let, read a bunch of like alternative medicine books and started taking fish oil and I started doing cognitive behavioral therapy. I started getting more grounded like in my faith and stuff like that. And it was weird because I still see a therapist now because it's, I live in LA and if you don't have a therapist in LA, I think it's like, or some 12 step group or something. It's like, you need to talk to someone about the daily ways your heart is ripped out of your chest in this city. (laughs) Yes. You know, I think, uh, like my therapist now is like, no, you're not bipolar. And she goes, I was like, I got rid of it. And she goes, that's impossible. And it's like, I'm not going to sit, tell people whether they can or can't. It might've been way easier for me. And maybe my brain was just in a knot and I didn't really have it, but I can't really quantify that or measure it. But all I can know is it seems that I did. I was like that in high school too, like very up and down, like high highs, low lows. You know, I think a lot of times rather than labeling something as ADD or bipolar or whatever, sometimes you're just really creative and sometimes your brain's in a knot. Sometimes it is those things. But almost every creative person I know has has some sort of label of ADD, ADHD. I was told I have ADHD, you know, so I don't know. But um, it's hard for me to sit still. Yeah. You know, like I, is it hard for you to sit still too? It, it, it is. It's very hard and my, yeah. my mind wanders and my mind is really quick. And so like, it's like, Same. it's like to do, to do, to do, to do. It's. And, and like somebody can start talking about something and I can already know the answer and I want to go to the next answer. I want to go to the next thing. And I, it's, it's my mind is like, it's like, and I have to learn how to slow it down and, and breathe and be, and be patient. The one thing I've learned in my life is just to go slow. It's very hard. And I I force myself to say, okay, you're just going to drive slow, homie. You're just going to, you're going to, you're just going to read this one sentence. You're just going to tell this one joke. And then it's uh-huh. just, and you kind of just build on that. People who with all these labels, it, it helps you to, and speaking for myself, you know, all the, you know, uh, having learning disabilities, it's what it, what it did for me. It made me very, I felt for other people mm-hmm. because I said, there's people probably, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a snowflake. There's other people that are that suffer from this. And I, kids used to make fun of me. I used to really struggle and kids would be such assholes. (laughs) You know, if I had to read in front of the, if I had to read in front of the class, it was just, I would just, I would just, I'd start to sweat and I would just, I'd start making up words and, Uh and I just, and I kept on feeling like, Oh man, why wouldn't you want to like me? Because it just, it took me. And it's at times it took me so long to do things that I felt like, Oh man, I I'm bringing people down. But what happened is, uh, you meet other people. They're like, I do. I'm like that. I do yeah. that. This and whole city's like that, dude. <laughs> this is a whole city of that. Almost. And then you, you find the, the comedy in it. Mm-hmm. You find the, um, you find the joke, you find the, uh, the, how it heals you. And it, it makes me really, uh, for me, I, I was never really one of those people who made fun of people because people made fun of me and I didn't want to, I never wanted to make people feel the way I felt when kids were just like, call me stupid. And I couldn't, you know, I'm, you know, I couldn't spell things or I I was just, you know, I really struggled and, you know, kids really were like, you know, and, and I felt, uh, what's wrong with me? Cause the thing is, I think the one thing when you have a disability, whatever it is, you're like, Uh I don't want to be like this. It's it's like being born with a, you know, a third leg. You're like, I didn't ask for this third leg. Yeah. And, and you're like, you're trying to hide it and you're trying and then people see it and they make fun of it. But you're like, you didn't, you didn't 
I didn't show up here on the planet Earth and go like, yeah, man, you know, give me these. I really want to struggle. Give it yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Come on, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, it's true. I Little kids find that one thing that makes you different and they magnify it. And they're like, ah, freak! <laughs> it's like literally every fifth grade classroom is like the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> and they, ha- they all have the hunchback in there who the hunchback aka being the person who's the most different and then like literally the mob surrounds you like with torches outside your house and be like off with his head (laughs) like they're 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 really i mean at least it was when i was a kid i had a growing disorder so kids would pick on me because i was like small so i felt like i had to later on in life i'm short but i'm not like like freakishly small anymore but the thing is is it made me feel like i had to overcompensate for certain things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not so much anymore, but like for like a long time, like I had to like, I had to almost be, everything had to be bigger than what it was. You know, I was the guy who was driving a big truck, had a girlfriend with a big ass, had, um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everything, you know what I mean? It has to be in 3d. Like everything has to be bigger, bigger and better because that's what success means because you, and you link up these things in childhood and you don't even really realize that you're doing it, but you do. You know, so it's like, I get it, man. I, it, it sucks to be singled out as a kid. And I think what that does for us sometimes as entertainers is we're like, okay, I'm going to get in a position to where I'm singled out, but I'm going to be singled out in a good way. Yeah. And now I'm going to be the special one, you know, because it's like, you wait till you see me, I'm going to prove Tommy and Timmy wrong whenever they see me coming out with a fog machine yeah. and like two blonde bimbos just hanging on like each shoulder. Obviously that's not going to make you happy, but people, when you first move to LA, you kind of want some version of that on some weird, strange level because you're trying to like redeem that old memory. That's kind of like what I feel, at least for me, I can only really speak for myself, but I don't have that anymore so much. It's funny, you know, cause it's like little kids that sort of like sets the blueprint for like a lot of the rest of your life, you know? How did you start to heal and what what was your your journey to, you know, get off the Kalana pen uh-huh. and to deal with these labels that were put on you? Mm-hmm. How did you what were the how did it, the steps you you're, you've taken, the still steps you take today to to, you know, yeah, but to, to where you are today? I mean, I know you as this is what I think of Matt Jones when I think of him, I think talented Oh, turns you. into other characters, works hard, makes these amazing sketches. Why isn't this guy on TV? Thank Why you, isn't, you know, um, you. amazing, kind person? I mean, I, I you know, I want to like, you know, go to NBC. I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> the dude's out in the parking lot. Just, you know, and, and, and that, that's what I, that's what I see. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's really kind of, you know, like I. You know, it's like weird from like then till now. I'll just give you cliff notes because it's kind of it's it's pretty lengthy, and yeah. I don't want to be like that narcissist. It's like, well, in 1986, <laughs> I was born to Michael and Leanne Jones, and I was a quiet child. <laughs> you know, because it's like what was weird was I I was doing that, and I remember remember Torrance, like to, not not Torrance the city, like T O R R E N T S, where you like download stuff off. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. So I was in college, and I typed in social anxiety because I remember thinking. I'm like, dude, I can't get a girlfriend. When I go on stage, um, I'm like, my, my voice is shaking and stuff like this. I'm like, I'm like terrified of the world. Like I can't, like I, I freeze if, if, if I, I constantly think other people are better than me, that I'm not enough and everything. Therapist at the time, because I just 
buckled down and finally got a therapist because I was still in that old school mindset. Like, if you get a therapist, you're a freak, <laughs> you know? And so I got a therapist and she told me I had social anxiety. So I found a torrent called Overcoming Social Anxiety Step by Step. And it was this cognitive behavioral thing, very comprehensive. And I started doing it and I did it every day. And I would, I would, I would read these handouts uh, every day for like an hour. And then I would do the homework of what it told me to go out and do. And I'd read them out loud because it was a thing about talking slow and saying these things to yourself and then going out and doing the action, which changes it. So that started at work and until it didn't work anymore. And then, so then I moved on to like self-hypnosis and that worked a little bit until it didn't work anymore. It, It worked some, but I had like had to keep doing it and it just stopped working. I was trying like all these different things and it was like working, but like I got addicted to like self help. So basically like by the time it was like 2010, when I moved out to LA, the first year out here, I didn't have a job hardly. You know, I, I was uh, like a spoiled little shit and I was getting help from my parents, you know, that first year. I was still working, but I wasn't making enough. So I had like, and I also like in all my free time, I would do like Tony Robbins exercises. I would go home and like be screaming affirmations in my room, <laughs> hypnotizing myself. I hypnotized myself for like two hours a day. I do like affirmations. I was like obsessed with being a great comic, you know, and I go out every night and do stand up. But then this weird thing would happen to where when I wouldn't do well, I would feel like complete dog shit about myself as a person. Like I remember being at the Haha Cafe and I like bombed in front of the whole room and I like was on Lancashire. I just floored my pedal. This was like 2010. I wasn't with anybody. I floored my car and then I just ripped off my seatbelt and just started driving like really fast. And it was like, it was like stuff like that. I wasn't drinking anymore. I'd quit drinking, but it was like, there was always this constant thing of like never, it's never enough. Like no matter how much self-help I did, I was always like, oh, if I, I'll, I'll get this next self-help book. I read like over 300. I did neuro-linguistic programming on myself, all these different sort of like pseudoscience things, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it was like, it was never, nothing ever worked. And I remember when I was 26, I did a pilot with Marlon Wayans. I got a chance to do that. And I like, I went out on stage And I remember, um, like they flipped the cameras on, I forgot my whole dialogue. I was supposed to be doing a character. And so I, I, I strung together some really half-assed improv thing. And I threw myself uh, like down is like trying to like make people laugh. And the audience was just like kind of confused, like, is that it? And they just like clapped and I walked backstage and I remember like that night, like I like drove like. I was like, I drove up like Mulholland Drive like afterwards and I was like sobbing because I was like, I was like, why can't I make my brain do what I wanted to do? And I remember I was like screaming at God. Like I was like, why the fuck did you make me? That's what I said to him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I drove to the top. I, those are my exact words to God. I said, why the fuck did you create me? And then I drove back home and my girlfriend met me there and she's like, how'd it go? And I was like, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and so I went and got, this is when they still had chicken selects, I think at McDonald's, I went and just ate a bunch of bad food. Then I remember, um, I got back into like acting classes. So I went to Meisner. I was like, okay, let me get back into acting classes. Cause Marlon talked to me after the show. He goes, listen, man, he goes, you're a really funny guy. You're so funny. You could make a piece of shit funny. He goes, your goal is not to make a piece of shit funny. He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through all your characters, label them, write down their names. Where do they shop? What do they do? And I was like, you got it. And he he gave me solid advice. He was really kind about the whole thing, but he, he knew and I knew that I bombed. So I got back into, I got into Meisner training, which is a really deep acting thing. And I was in this school for like 
two years. I was also terrified of like ever freezing up on set again. So with stand up, I started only going on stage and improvising. I would not let myself do a set. I did this for two years. I'd either go on stage and talk about the first thing that popped in my head or I would go on stage and just make noises. And the reason why I just made noises is because I, I told myself if I can go up in front of a room full of comics and just make noises and make them say, what the hell is he doing? What is he doing on stage? He's making a mockery of standup. If I can deal with them thinking that about me, then I can deal with like the pressures of, of, of being on set because I can detach myself from like what people think. So I did that, worked really hard, continued to study acting, taken so many classes, have continued to do stand up. But the big breakthrough happened. It was about two years ago. I was working so hard that I started to stress myself out so much. I had gotten in like two car accidents, had like two concussions in two years that like the left side of my face started going numb and like my left arm, like I'd feel like pins and needles and all this stuff. And it was like nerve damage from, from these accidents, but it was also like stress. Cause I've had scans and I've done every, all the tests. I'm fine. And so I'm like, what is this? And there was one night, I'm not even kidding. This is like one of the reasons why I still believe in God so much. I was driving down uh, the freeway and I was doing Postmates. This was like literally when everything changed for me. This was like 2018. I had just started making sketches regularly. I had like no money and like my face just started getting numb and it felt like, like my whole head just felt full. That's the easiest way I can describe it. And I just started screaming. I was like, what the fuck, God? I go, I'm sick of your shit. I'm like, you could fucking fix this, but you won't. I go, answer me. And I like screamed that at like the top of my lungs. And then I pull off on the freeway. I, I, I get to the light off on the intersection. There's a homeless guy and he's standing there without any shoes on, without any socks on. And my windows rolled down. He didn't hear me say this. I said this on the freeway. And I'm like, like, I'm like livid at God. And then he goes, he goes, Hey man, he's like, you could stop this curse in your life. If you really wanted to, he goes, you got it so much better than me, bro. He goes, it's not too late for And I asked this guy, I was like, hey man, can you pray for me? I was like, I don't care about my career anymore. Like, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. Like, I I don't need this. Like, this is like killing me, you know, like this whole entertainment thing. Like I'm like working hard and getting nowhere. He prayed for me and he goes, you're going to have a breakthrough on Wednesday, right after he prayed for me. And that Wednesday, I like, I, I, I walked into an audition and I haven't, I hadn't booked like hardly anything. And I heard God say to me, I heard him say that you're going to book this. And I was like, okay. So I went in there and I did it. And that Wednesday night I got a call and they're like, Hey, you booked this commercial and it's for the exact amount of money that I needed. That moment kind of taught me. And I've like struggled with this, like since I've like messed up a million times. So this is not like a, a switch flipped on and it was the cure all fix all. I still have really bad days, but that moment, like something shifted to where I was like, okay, it's not up to me. It's up to God. And like, God is the one who's going to open the door. Like I can network with people all day long and try to like schmooze people. Like that stuff just doesn't work for me. And it it allowed me to let things go and to even be like, okay, worst case scenario, I become nothing in this life. I can still be happy. Like even, even like, even like if I never, ever reach any of my like comedic dreams or whatever, it was like that was the thing that like shifted everything. I kind of like at that moment, like realized like, okay, like I don't need to worry about any of this stuff because you think that stuff is going to give you something, but it really doesn't. And like act on my ideas because they're not so precious anymore. I'm like, okay, I can can just do this now because I'm, 
I'm good at doing it. And that's kind of the mindset that I shifted into now. And it feels like more doors have been opening like than ever. And it's, it's like since I, since I made that shift in my mindset and stopped worrying about being famous or like anything happening. And so it was like, that was kind of just like letting go. That was, that was really it. You know, it makes me think of a, when you stop forcing something, it, it flows. Yes. And you know, anything you force, you break. Yeah. You know, if you you force a door, you're going to break the door. And when you just let it go and you just, you just let it go. Yeah. And and it sounds so simple and it's, and sometimes it's so hard. Dude, it's so hard. And I almost do kind of believe in that 10,000 hour rule. Have you heard that before? Yes. Yeah. Do something for 10,000 hours. This is my, my belief. I believe that you do something over and over and over again until like you're about to snap and then you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And then it happens. (laughs) Yeah. Because the best that's like, and you get these lessons when, when God gives you the gift of not being able to have everything that you want right away, you get these lessons that other people don't get who just pop right away. Because what it is, is you're allowed to actually enjoy your success instead of like always like being like, oh, it's like, because if you're not connected to yourself, you're not going to understand success anyways. And the only way to get connected to yourself is to struggle. Like, it's like, I wish there was like a self-help book that would like talk about, oh, you know, you, you do this, this, and this, and you're just going to be a huge success, but really struggle and like failure. Like everybody says that. And it's like, it took me a long time to realize that like humiliation to where you think your life is over humiliation. And then you like, it makes me think of that really great saying I heard, uh, rejection is God's protection. Yeah, it really is, dude. I mean, can you imagine if you would have gotten all the fame when you were 20? Oh, <laughs> dude you i would not be talking to you right now no we probably go i'd probably be well i probably not, not know you or if they did know you, you'd be like yeah he's buried in illinois yeah yeah dude like <laughs> it's so crazy because it's like you have this perspective that happens with age to where it's like i see why now the older you get the calmer you become because you pick your battles a little bit more wisely like when you're 20 you just pull the sword out of your sheath and then you're just like all right let's beat some ass and then you're just like trying to like fight everybody but then it's like whenever you're when you like as you get in your you know i'm 34 as i turned 28 i remember things started to like change a little bit to where i'm like i'm starting to know who i am more but everything's such a big deal to me whenever i was in my 20s when i was in my 20s everything was the end of the world everything you know, like, oh, that person doesn't like you. Oh, my whole world is crumbling down. Now I'm just like, okay, to each their own, you know? And that's that confidence that comes, like, as you get older. And I think that's why you see more people reaching their their dreams, you know, in L.A. in 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, like, 70s even, you know? Like, George Burns was, like, old whenever he, like, it's because you're, like, calm, you know? And people like being around that. Nobody wants to be around, like, the the uh, thing to where it's like that icky feeling that somebody wants something from you there. And, I, and that's where, you know, that's where you, you find those things that keep you grounded. So when you do get there, you'll be in the right mental space. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's weird, man. Don't get me wrong, dude. Like I have very lofty goals of like things that I really want to accomplish, like really 
like I want to kind of do what like Tyler Perry did, you know, with mm-hmm. like studios and making movies and everything like that and being able to create opportunities for like my friends like you, Jeremy, like, and I know Jeremy wants to do the same thing too. He wants to create opportunities for people like me, you, you know, he has like that mindset to where he kind of wants to produce a lot too. And he's, He'd be he's, great. he's great at that. Yeah. The thing is, is I, I, I think, uh, of course I want that, but I don't need it as much as I used to because getting in like all those car accidents and, and, and like totaling my car. You know, I've been in three. I totaled my car twice. I've gone through th- four cars in L.A. Just uh, some of it's bad driving, some of it's... But the other things, it's just people hitting me and stuff. So it's been like a lot. But, you know, I, I think um, there's just this thing that, that chills you out. And like you realize how quickly your life ends. Like we see a cockroach and we step on it and everything like that. We're like these really fleshly mortal bodies. And I don't think we realize it. it at least I don't think most people do. And when you start to realize that more, you, you, you stop being like, I'm going to, we're in a waiting room right now. And you stop thinking so much in terms of like, okay, I'm going to build a skyscraper in a waiting room. You know, it'd be absurd. Like if we were at the doctor's office right now and then it's like, Farley, what are you doing? And then you're just like building boards and stuff. <laughs> and you're like, I'm, I'm building a house. It's like, dude, we're in the waiting room of the doctor's office. It's almost feels like that to me sometimes now that this life is a waiting room. So it's like. However it transpires is however it transpires. I'm going to do all I can to get there. But if it doesn't happen, like, eh, you know, like it's not the end of the world. Like, and so that's the place that I'm kind of at. It took so long to get there. When you're on this journey, what, what are things that you do daily? Like, what do you, is there a book that you read? Is there, Uh do you, do you get up every morning and you pray? Is there a ritual that you live by? Sure. So I do, uh, I do a couple things. Um, Things to like stay like physically centered. I do DDP yoga, which is hilarious. It's diamond. Well, hold on, hold on. What, what is that? I'm going to explain. <laughs> it's, it's not like a wrestling move. It that, is. That. It's diamond Dallas pages yoga. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Not, he does not pay me to promote that. Um, I, I do that probably like four or five days a week. I do work out um, in the morning. I do pray and I just talk to God. I, uh, and I'll like, I tell God what's bothering me, but then I also try to like be like, be thankful. I'm like, thanks for my eyes. The fact that I have two eyes in my head. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, thank you for the fact that I live in a cool apartment. Thank you that my roommate is an awesome director and he directs my sketches. You know, like I, I think of all the things like, thank you that I actually have friends. Right. Thank you that um, I have hearing. I can listen to music. And so I try to put myself in that headspace, pray and stuff. I also, the I don't really do much self-help anymore. But the one self-help thing that I do do is a thing called the healing code. Hmm. It's by this guy named Alex Lloyd. I've done his other techniques. I'm not a fan of any of the other stuff he teaches. But the healing code, there's a book that people can pick up. And it really has a lot to do with reprogramming your cellular memories. Because it comes from the belief that your trauma is not in your brain. It's in your cells. Hmm. Um, which you have cells in your brain. So, But it's like you, you, you store trauma and the idea is that everybody has trauma like your parents telling you you can't have a yo-yo when you were four that's a form of trauma not in some like spoiled rich kid way just like in terms of like we all process things at such an intense frequency when we're children so i heard like audibly i don't know how it was like in my mind i heard go to church service at 9 a.m the next morning so i was like okay whatever and so i go in there i'm like a little salty you know, I got my arms crossed and everything. I'm like, all right, God, if you don't, if you don't show up for me, then I'm going to be like, like, like I'm, I, I might be done with you. Bad days. I give myself permission to like, I left a, I was in somebody's sketch it today and uh, it was all improv. 
And uh, I played this guy that was like an exotic dancer and he's like humping furniture in the room and stuff. And I have like a leather mask on my face. And I'm like, it was improv, but like the guy who shot it, I was kind of like, dude, I think I might've creeped those guys out because I go really deep into a character. Yeah. And I, I felt like, I felt myself going down that pathway again where I was like, well, what if they don't want to work with me again? And then, you know, like that insecure voice that you can like start just traveling down. And I was like, Oh, what if they don't like me? What if they don't? And then I just like said out loud, I was like, God, you're big enough to handle anything. You're the one who opens the door for me, not people. Even if I do burn bridges with people on accident, like I got to trust that you, I stopped putting so much trust in people opening the door for me and, and just like, okay, I'm going to do my work because you still have to do it. You got to give, you got to give uh, God something to work with. So I still do my work, but I don't um, obsess over like who can help me maybe this person can promote me. I don't think like that because mm-hmm. there's something just so icky about that to me. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like I literally will just do, I just try to put stuff out there and I put it out regularly every Monday. I'm strategic about it, but I, I try not to like think about what's going to become of this thing, you know? So that's kind of my recipe inadvertently. So I do the DDP yoga. I pray. I'm grateful. I read, uh, and then, you know, I work out, but it's like, it took me a long time, dude, just to kind of like let go. I mean, there's 12 step. They talk about, you know, you realize you're powerless. It's kind of, it's kind of like that. Like, okay. To some people saying you're powerless is like saying, oh, I give up and I'm just becoming a victim. It's really just trying to not controlling things you can't control anymore. I can't control other people. I can't control NBC, CBS, ABC, whether they see me or whether they like me. I can't control whether Apatow sees my sketches and wants to, I can't control Comedy Central green lighting my show, even though I'm trying to like put together like pitch packages for like Adult Swim and Comedy Central and stuff. I can't control what they do. They might be like, I don't like that guy's face. You know, you you can't control anything. Be like, he talks too much. His teeth are too white. He looks like he sells fax machines. Like (laughs) you, You never know what people are thinking. And so it's like learning to kind of let go of that stuff. It takes a long time. To let go of that and it takes like active working on it to let go of it and then to only come to like work on it so much that you're like I can't let go of it and then it's like okay now I can let go of it you know and I love hearing this because this this podcast is really about me putting myself out there and I, you know I'm afraid even doing this podcast I'm afraid you know I feel like when you and when you really get honest with people and say this is you know this is who I am I feel like that's when you really, you start seeing who, who your real friends are. Yes, dude. You really, really do. And dude, I can't imagine anybody, and I'm not just saying this, the butter your bread. I can't imagine anybody not liking you. You're literally one of the most likable people and you're a funny guy and you've got good energy. You're great to be around. And so I can't imagine what, but it's just weird. It just goes to show that like everybody is kind of fighting some sort of like self-loathing battle. I think, I think everybody, I think the only people who don't, I used to have a, a joke in my stand up bit to where I'm like, women talk about how they want confident guys, but the only guys who are confident are sociopaths because <laughs> yeah. they don't doubt themselves. They just like hack a family apart and it's like, don't you feel bad? And they're like, why? Are they like, uh, yeah. oh, I'm just going to get some chicken and nuggets and, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, yeah, and, we'll just call it a day. And it's like, it's just, they just go on to the next thing. It's like, but you just, you just chopped up a whole family. Yeah, but. dude, there's a dead body with blood <laughs> leaking out of the head on your floor. And he's just like watching like true TV. Right. It's like, oh uh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. There's no <laughs> <laughs> sense of like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. 
Yeah, there's no there's no doubting yourself. Those right. are people. Everybody doubts themselves, dude. I mean, it's even like, it's weird, man. Because I was uh, who was I talking to the other day? Uh, some me and another comic were talking about how like everything, like a lot of things, a lot of things um, are are a facade, like are a scam. It might have been Jeremy. We were talking about a lot of things are a scam, and I was like, dude, even Hollywood is a scam. We're scamming middle America. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying for people who are listening, I'm not saying I'm from middle America. I love middle America. I'm not saying anybody from middle America is stupid. What I'm saying is it's the universal studios, Disney world effect. You guys don't see what Hollywood is. You just see the finished product on your TV screens. So what they do is they broadcast this all out to all over America. And what they see is you on the red carpet. Um, they see you looking beautiful. They don't realize that you probably spent $10 million on facial laser things that take wrinkles out. They don't see you are showing the best side of yourself. They don't see that in the movie to be able to get that awesome action sequence that you had to do 200 takes. A lot of directors use the same, uh, use the same editors and a lot of directors use the same actors or a lot of actors work with the same directors because they're like this editor and this director will make my acting look good. Yeah. People all have bad takes to where they're like, was that good? Did I do good? And so it's like this way of like hoodwinking people to be like, dude, that guy's a star. You know, there are no stars, dude. Everybody takes a shit and mm. eats food and <laughs> you know, like poops and peas and everything. And so it's like, it's like almost hoodwinking people to where we even get hoodwinked. We've been here for, you've been here longer than me and I've been here for 10 years and I still get like hoodwinked to where I'm like, man, you know? And then I, I realize I'm like, oh yeah, it's like all a facade. We're all getting hoodwinked. The, the whole enchilada. And so sometimes like whenever I release it, I spend a lot of extra time and I'll be like, and if, if, if I wasn't happy with one turned out, I'll be like, okay, next week it has to be double fire because what's going to happen is people... People re- remember the last thing that you did. Oh yeah, he did that. You know, like or if I let's say I did two back to back like sketches that were wacky characters. Oh, Matt only does wacky characters. Let's say I do two back to back sketches where I just play myself. Oh, Matt only plays himself. There's so much content out there now that like whatever it is, you are immediately branded. That's a bad thing, but it's also a good thing. The good thing is like if you have a really crappy performance, it doesn't really matter as much anymore because you can quickly overcompensate for oh, it yeah. like a week later because people dude we're not meant to be stimulated like this like we're not like we have so much information coming at us right now to where it's like we got too many files open on our desktop oh yeah it's like you know it's like podcasts netflix prime uh hulu it's like i mean it's like if i sat down and wanted to watch all the content i would never walk a dog i would never talk to you i've never talked to jeremy i would literally i would be in a a cave of watching content for the next yeah. three years and and i would you know it's uh it's, do you remember that book or that movie being there where that guy he just watched tv Is all that the about time bob dylan <laughs> well i don't know about no, that oh, being there no i'm not here i think was the bob dylan oh movie. yeah 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 i didn't see that though yeah being there was this this uh, book about this guy who uh spent all his time watching tv and then he went Sounds out into hilarious. the real world and he thought he was in a tv show yeah he because he, he couldn't I mean, that, that was, and, and he talked to people and in the movie he ends up becoming like famous and he ends up doing all these things, but everything is what he got from that box, how to act, how to react, how to tell people to do things. It's just, it's what he learned from, it's like TV teaches us how, 
how we should be and what, what we should be. It's such a, uh, a program. Yeah, dude. And it's so weird. It's not good. How our phones, who knows how much our phones have changed our brain. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost hard to really know because it's been such a gradual process. Cause I mean, dude, I was flip phone in it until 2014 and the only reason I switched over is because I, I had to, if I wanted to continue my career in entertainment, but like I'd ask a girl for her number. And like, as soon as I pulled out my flip phone, she's like, never mind. Like, I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I'm some like drug addict with that. Like we like, I'm always, I have my phone, like I'll grab it in the morning and I'll take it with me to the bathroom while I'm like peeing. Mm -hmm. And I'll be looking at it while I, as I'm like peeing into the toilet, standing up, like holding my phone. And then I turn on a podcast. I check my Instagram notifications. I check my Facebook notifications. I check my email and I'm just like, okay, this is not good on social media way too much. And it's like, I, I really want to switch that up this year. And I keep saying I'm going to, but it's like with quarantine, I feel like my screen time has gone through the roof. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I, I think you want that validation. You want to, you want to be out there. You keep yeah. on trying to, to, to put things out it's it's we are so you know it's the next tiktok it's the next mm -hmm. instagram it's the next whatever I, I don't even know and and we we live on that like 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 comic yeah. comic 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 but it's like it, it's it's weird because it's that that whole thing is like it's it's like none of us are above it when somebody says they're above it I almost don't trust them. Mm -hmm. I bet you could even take a monk who meditates all day and who is a, like experienced on being in the moment, but you give him a cell phone for two years, he is going to start to crack. Mm -hmm. um, that There's a reason those guys stay away from society and everything because they know that even they are not immune to it. None of us are like no pastor is immune to it. No, that I don't care how holy you are. You're, you're, you're subject to wanting attention in this world and likes and stuff like that it doesn't mean that you don't have integrity. It means that like, you got to be careful because it's like, I do it dude on Mondays when I drop my sketch, I'm like, like I look at like every 10 minutes to see like, what will we get? you know? And I'm just like, uh, I just need to upload it and leave it alone and not check it. You know, that's kind of my goal. And it's so hard to do because you, you want it. You want to see that feedback. You want to, you want to have that. Okay. I did a good job. But what I'm learning in life, it's just great that you did it. Like, yeah. And I feel like I've gotten closer to my parents later in life than when I was a child. I think the same thing for me too, man. Because I saw my parents as, as the uh, as a government when I was a kid. I loved them. So I shouldn't say I saw them as a the government because I don't love the government. But I, I loved my parents, at, you know, whenever I was like a little kid. I, at the same time... Like I saw them as like the, the authority, you know what I mean? So it was like, it was kind of hard for me to really relate to them. Now that I'm an adult, I can talk a little more honestly with them. And it's like nice because they're still my parents, but I can just be more honest with them. You know, I've always loved them, but it's like, it's, it's, they don't tell me what to do so much anymore. Yeah. My dad finally stopped doing that at like 30. <laughs> I'm 34 now. You think at 30, he finally stopped telling me what to do, you know, maybe even 32. So it's pretty new. You know? So so you have a good relationship with, with your parents. I do now. Yeah, yeah. In high school, it was a little tumultuous because I was like a little rebellious and stuff. We live in a small town. Like image is important and everything. So it was like they kind of like put this is the way you got to behave. And I'm like, why? You know, so there was kind of that whole thing, you know. And I still have that. Like when people are like, you got to be like this. There's still like that thing. 
that's like why yeah you know which you gotta have that to be an artist you have to what's good art and what's bad art it's so subjective like it i is subjective i i there's so much stuff that i watched today and i just go huh what yeah, dude sometimes it's generational stuff and a lot of times it's it's just we're in an age i think to where everything's so quick that also our entertainment is quick and so there's not as much thought that goes into some of it. And it's almost like if you do have a lot of thought into it, it might even take you a little longer, you know, because it's like people, I don't want to put a blanket statement and be like, ah, oh, people are all stupid. Yeah, yeah. But like people are allowing themselves to become dumber. Yeah. That's what I'll say because stu- like calling people stupid is like, it's almost like this irreversible thing. I can say people are allowing themselves to become dumber and they're doing that by, you know, the stuff that they consume and just sitting in front of the TV, not really being like a goal oriented person in a way, or like having like any kind of vision. Like that's actually one of my favorite Bible verses. It says without a vision, people perish. And so it's like, it's true. When people don't have any vision, they kind of just sit on their ass in front of the TV and they just eat like TV dinners and they, they sort of just veg out. And that, by definition makes you dumber because you're kind of allowing yourself to be programmed in a way as opposed to like programming your own life, you know? So I think it's, I think there's like more of that now than ever. And I also think our phones are like a problem. Sometimes I wonder if it's making me dumb. What, um, oh yeah. I always like at the end to kind of talk about, uh, where people can see you, your sketches, uh-huh. um, all that kind of stuff that, you know, uh, who are listening to this, you know, like they don't, they don't know you and they're like, uh-huh. I want to go watch a skit with, you know, I want to watch Matt Jones do some stand up or a sketch or whatever. Where can they go? Where can they plug in and, and watch you? Uh, so the number one place I'd, I'd ask people to go to, it'd be my YouTube. So it's, my name is Matt Jones, but you're not going to find that in YouTube because it's a very common name, you know, on page 98 or something, but youtube.com forward slash Matt Jones. And then there's four nines in there. So it's youtube.com forward slash Matt Jones, nine, 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 nine. And then my Instagram is Matt Jones underscore 90. And then Facebook is Matt Jones comedy. So um, the main thing I've been uploading on there is sketches and stuff. But once stand-up starts back, I'll, I'll upload stand-up too. And uh, I have a one-man show that I'm hoping to put up eventually. So that'll be on my YouTube as well. So, yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you, uh, all that information is there. If they want to email you or have any, uh, you know. Yeah. Email is mattjonescomedian at gmail.com. But I, I'm the, the worst at checking my email. You could just DM me on Instagram. Okay, you, like, you check those out. I, I do check those out unless it's like a spam, a really hot spam bot yeah. from like Russia. And then it's like, she's like, hi, you guys horny? And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm You're not like, going nah. to add you. I'm not like a gullible truck driver from Alaska, you know? Yeah. Watch there be one guy who's listening. He's like, hey, I'm a truck driver from Alaska. And he like writes a bad review. Uh, so I just got my first uh, email. And it's a uh, Farley podcast at gmail.com that uh, listeners can email me and ask questions yeah. or comments or anything they want to ask me. And uh, I have that and I have a uh, Farley podcast on Instagram as well now that people can tune in to see, uh, check out to go see, you know, what what's coming up next and I always, you know, pictures and 
a lot of dog pictures and and affirmations and you know things like that to uh, people who uh, want are interested. Also, I'm I'm going to have another podcast called Checking In, the Farley Show, and What's those that one about? and this is just going to be like ten minutes of uh, comedy and bits and about the news and just me, um, just me just joking around, just uh, just. Uh, and I, oh yeah, other thing I'm gonna be calling people. So I might call you. I might call Jeremy. I might, I'm gonna call my dad. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my dad has this great. I mean, you're far away. You know, is your dad southern? Yes, he's southern. Yeah, yeah. Well, where? Houston. Oh, okay. Houston, okay. Texas. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Uh, and I'm gonna be uh, calling. You know, I want to do a little, some interviews with. You know, just do some fun. It's it's more my uh, comedic. Uh, lighthearted uh, podcast. There's sure. only gonna be like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. You know, very you know, quick. You know, quick funny stuff to uh, just something I wanted to do because I yeah. and there's a lot of stuff like jokes and bits I I come up with. And now you know we we're in, we can't go on stage, so that's kind of where I'm gonna put. I know, that. I know, it's a bummer. Yeah, uh, and I just want to say thank you, Matt. Thank you for coming out, and uh, the dogs love you. Number one. Uh, I love the dogs. Uh, I love you. And thank you for coming out and thank you for being a part of, uh, I'm learning how to, you know, put this podcast together. And, you know, I, I feel like right now I'm at that, you know, that's that part where, you know, the person takes off the training wheels uh-huh. and you're like, Oh, I gotta make, you know, dude, but uh. for what it's worth, dude, you're dope. And I think that you're going to be super successful at this. I, 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 I really do. I think if you stick with it, you're going to be really successful at it. I, I hope so. And it's just, it's, it's every time you do one, you learn more and you go back and you listen and you, oh, you see this part. Oh, you know, like, well, I, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't do yeah. this, but yeah, honestly, man, stick with it. I think that I, especially this podcast here, cause people, people need to hear this kind of stuff. And it's like good to have comedians on and talk about it. Cause then it doesn't get too like, it gets, it doesn't get too serious. Like it's almost like we like pull ourselves out and it's like, so anyways, then I farted on her face. <laughs> you know, we always like say something to like pull ourselves out from getting like too, you know, yeah, and in the future, um, I'm gonna have my friend Annie. She's gonna be on the show. She was cool. in uh, a band called Giant. Well, she's in a band called Giant Drag. Oh, cool. And uh, I'm having. Are they drag queens? Uh, no, no. It's it's like a pop band. It's kind oh, okay. of it's kind of like, you know it kind of reminds me of like Lemonheads, kind of that nineties super drag. Oh, they were great. You sucked out the feeling. That was that was a great yeah, band. Dude. That was a great band. Kind of what I thought of whenever you said like you know the drag thing. And I'm gonna have a few musicians. I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna have. I'm trying to. I want to have every type of person on the podcast because I really. I that's, that's really important to me. Uh-huh. I, I I don't want to have a podcast like I only have this type of person. I only have this. I want to interview yeah. everybody and see what you know what they do to keep them on this planet and their spiritual what they've learned to to keep them grounded and keep them happy and how they deal with the bumps of life because no matter how successful you are or not successful you are you're gonna hit walls and yeah. how yeah, do you get through those walls and how do you how yeah, do you get through those walls and how do you uh what is what you know what is it you know some people have religion some people uh chant some people uh pray some people go out into in the wilderness everyone has you know has what the you know they have their tools and that's what we're discovering here and we're just discovering and we're just celebrating life 
and honest life, not the, the people life, you know, not, not, not the, the life that everyone just wants you to see. Totally. This is the life that this is real. This is wrong. I love that. Cause honestly, you have to keep that same energy when you are in the bracket of the people life. Yes. You know, People Magazine life. When you are in that tax bracket of being in People Magazine, you have to keep that same energy of like, okay, let's just, it's just life. All that stuff comes with stress, sometimes even more. So, yeah, you know, not that I know, but I've heard. So, so uh, do you want to say, I mean, last words, any? Not really, man. I love you to death, dude. And I'm glad you asked me to do this. It was, it was really fun. I'm excited to like, you know, see you do more episodes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is uh just don't kill yourself today podcast. And this is two. Yeah. This, hey, is, this, is, this is two. And, uh, we'll yeah, be dude. back. I'll be back soon. Uh, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and take care of yourself and take care of others. Yeah.